got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. This is What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revolutionary times. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And I'm Emily Yates. And on this special bonus episode, we will be discussing the extradition hearing of Julian Assange with our friends Lee Camp and returning What the Folk champion, Eleanor Goldfield. So the idea of prosecuting a publisher, a journalist uh, that is an Australian citizen in the UK, uh, you know, under the Espionage Act is such a horrible precedent. It destroys freedom of speech and freedom of press as we know it. And every journalist, if they weren't all corporate hacks, should have their hair on fire about this. Governments officially announce that they're fascist. What they do is they make anti-fascism illegal. the folk Eleanor Goldfield and Lee Camp are our guests this time and Sarah is going to give us a little rundown on them and this subject at hand before we get started Lee is a comedian and host of the national tv show redacted tonight with Lee Camp Eleanor is a journalist filmmaker and spoken word artist make sure to check out Lee and Eleanor's pod common censored where they have been covering this case and many more issues related to freedom of speech Since there's a lot of understandable confusion about this case, let's briefly break it down. The specific charges against Assange stem from his alleged actions regarding the material leaked by Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning. The most serious of these charges relate to the Espionage Act of 1917. These charges carry a maximum penalty of 170 years in prison. What's currently happening in London is an extradition hearing to see if the United States can extradite Assange, who is an Australian citizen from the UK. The Espionage Act makes it a crime to access or transmit certain classified information without authorization, but it has previously only been applied to U.S. government employees. Because the First Amendment protects the freedom of the press, journalists who seek to share information with the public have not been targeted under the Espionage Act. Assange is being prosecuted for the same behavior journalists engage in every day. In fact, the same documents he is being charged with accessing have been published by many major media outlets. For this reason, journalists, media scholars, legal experts, and transparency advocates have expressed outrage at Assange's indictment. And uh, I was just telling Sarah that the last time I saw the two of you was when I was in D.C., And Eleanor and I were making my zombie music video, which was about pretty much what's going on right now. (laughs) I I, I want to give you credit, but I feel like we all saw things spiraling (laughs) down the toilet. I was one of many voices in the chorus, I think. (laughs) The oh fuck chorus. 
So we uh, we've summoned your two lovely brains today to uh, talk specifically about the trial of Julian Assange, um, because we know that you have been covering this uh, story for a long time, and I thought you would uh, be able to lend some valuable insight into what's going on, why we should care as a as a collective and as individuals. And uh, what what you see as uh, the potential outcome as it's unfolding? Uh, well, to talk, we, we can get into some of the details of what's happened in the extradition trial so far. But uh, to give some of the background to the uninitiated is that uh, even though many of you may have heard of Julian Assange, I think a lot of people still to this day uh, don't know all of the impacts that he and WikiLeaks have had. They don't know, many people don't know that WikiLeaks has never once published anything incorrect uh, or false. And you compare that to any of your mainstream media outlets or NPR or any of them, they can't go a half hour without publishing something that is arguable or false or, uh, you know, angled towards some viewpoint, whereas WikiLeaks isn't doing any of that. They're just showing you purely the reality of our government and the idea of our government, if you want to live in a kind of a blissful, wonderful utopia, is that it is supposed to be transparent. We're supposed to know what these representatives, so-called, are doing in our names. And so really, Julian Assange is the messenger who revealed uh, so much. I mean, not just the war crimes that uh, were committed and continue to be committed by our American military, but also many countries. I mean, they revealed uh, uh, crimes and fraud, et cetera, from the big banks, from Russia, from Peru, from China. They revealed videos China didn't want to be seen. They revealed uh, things going on secretly in the Australian government where Assange is from. Uh, they revealed things about so many governments around the world. This is not, and of course the UK, this is not just, uh, oh, he showed some emails that made that upset Hillary. So that's all they did, and he needs to be prosecuted. Uh, no, he was and continues to be a proponent of transparency for so many governments around the world. And speaking of Australia, this is an Australian man who has never operated WikiLeaks from America. Uh, I'm not even certain whether he's been to America, but you know, living in the UK at that, at that, you know, years ago. And so he has no connection to America other than that this upset America. So the idea of prosecuting a publisher, a journalist uh, that is an Australian citizen in the UK, uh, you know, under the Espionage Act is such a horrible precedent. It destroys freedom of speech and freedom of press as we know it. And every journalist, if they weren't all corporate hacks, should have their hair on fire about this. And some do. Some great, you know, journalists and whistleblowers like Daniel Ellsberg and Pilger and uh, a bunch of others uh, have spoken up about it, but not enough of them. That's all really, really important context. I think not enough of us are really informed about all of that uh, really monumental impact of uh, of criminalizing and prosecuting um, essentially anyone who tells truth, but specifically a very effective and accurate truth teller. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's been, if you include his time uh, stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy, he's been imprisoned for like nine years now, uh, which is about, you know, 
I'd say 13 to 17 years too many for someone who revealed the truths about our government. Again, nothing false. I mean, it'd be one thing if they're like, okay, prosecute someone who's making shit up about the American government. I mean, no, they shouldn't really, but still, that would be almost more understandable than prosecuting someone who just revealed the truth. I've been trying to do some advocacy around this case for a while, and it's been like banging my head against a brick wall, trying to make people care about this. And I do not understand why, but I also kind of understand why. So I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts around that and what your experience has been like trying to advocate for this case and why people should care about it. One of the things that I've run into, um, and so, so the, basically like what's, what's happened is that the powers that be with the help of one of, one of my home countries, unfortunately, have used sexual assault as a weapon against Julian Assange. And I don't say that lightly um, because I believe that it is incredibly difficult to prove sexual assault, uh, particularly in a court, a patriarchal white supremacist um, uh, imperialist court. Uh, and it is also incredibly uh, frequent that survivors are not believed. So when this first happened, uh, of course, my immediate reaction was, this is grotesque. He should absolutely be tried for this. And actually, I still feel that way were it true. And the only reason that I feel that it's not true, and this is really, I should mention as a tangent uh, to the main point, which is if someone is guilty of rape, if someone is guilty of sexual assault or anything like that, then there are structures to deal with them, Uh, particularly in a place like Sweden, which is far more understanding uh, in terms of prison sentences and, you know, prison conditions than the United States. There are already structures to deal with that. And Assange's lawyers invited Swedish prosecutors to come and visit him in in London, where obviously he couldn't come visit them, uh, and and deal with, with, with the charges against him and the Swedish prosecutors never did. The two women uh, that uh, that had accused him, uh, there was a lot of, uh, particularly in the Swedish kind of like the, the underground press, there was a lot of talk about the fact that they had been pushed to make these allegations. There was a uh, talking about sexual assault versus, you know, having sex, consensual sex, but without a condom. And like basically like having all of this storm around Julian Assange thereby labeling him a predator and that being used as an excuse by empire to drag him through the mud and basically drag him to solitary confinement and to jail. Uh, and this particularly as a, as, as a woman and as someone who has uh, been sexually assaulted, this is fucking grotesque. That sexual assault is used in this manner, not just to create uh, create lies around someone, but also to deflect from the main point that even if he's guilty of sexual assault, the, his ability and his right to publish the truths about the empire, the truths about which we should all have access to as children of the empire, it's a completely different fucking story. So don't try to, you know, to, to divert attention with this grotesque made up story when the reality of the situation is that the empire feels threatened by, you know, what Lee was just saying, the fact that he, that he and WikiLeaks have published all of this information uh, and never once been, been, been shown to be un- true. 
But what it does and which what they're happy about is that it clouds this conversation. So one of the things that I've run into uh, is that, you know, other women or femmes uh, that I talk to about this are like, well, I just can't really support someone. I can't go to bat for someone who's been accused of sexual assault. Uh, and so this clouds that whole conversation. And uh, that's that's been one of the main things that I've run into. Uh, also, one of the things that I've run into is people saying that he was pro-Trump. Or that he was, uh, you know, that he was he was supportive of Trump and anti-Hillary, um, which again, it just because he published some shit that made Hillary look bad doesn't mean that he was anti-Hillary. I actually don't know, but it doesn't He's, matter. Can I can I give one quote from him? He said it, he said choosing between Trump and Hillary is like choosing between gonorrhea and chlamydia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, and and, and here's the thing, agree. like. I don't actually know if I like the guy. I don't, and I wrote I wrote a spoken word piece about this that I don't know if I would want to have a beer with him, but that's not the fucking point either. Mm-hmm. We've gotten like with, with in the, particularly in the U S we are obsessed with this sort of like perspective that you have to like that celebrity or you have to like that person. No, you don't. I don't want to have a beer with a president. I don't want to have a beer with I, like, this is fuck. It's, it's, it's a non issue. So it doesn't matter whether you think you'd like him or not. It's about whether or not what he's doing is something that should be protected, not just by laws. I mean, fuck laws, but, but be protected by civil society and by human beings and residents and citizens to ensure that this information can flow freely and that the people putting that information out are protected. And, and just to add to what you were saying about the, the uh, sexual assault investigation in Sweden is what, a lot, again, a lot of people don't know because they'll, they'll hear the accusations and then the truth will never get the coverage. You just won't mm-hmm. ever get covered by the mainstream media or whatever. So they'll get the accusations without the, without the rest. Uh, there was never any charges in Sweden. There were, I think, two investigations. And the investigations were dropped. All investigation into this has been dropped by Sweden uh, as of like 2017 or somewhere around there, 2015, 2017. But they had wanted to drop it. Leaked emails came out. They had, Sweden had wanted to drop it for years and had been pressured by the UK, uh, which we now know the prosecutor at the time, the public prosecutor, is the current labor leader. Uh, I can't remember his name, Keir or something. Uh, Keir Marger or something. Uh, anyway, uh, he uh, met with Eric Holder, the attorney general at the time in the U.S. D- or during this time to basically discuss with the U.S. how they want Sweden to continue to push these charges. And uh, and Sweden kept pushing them for several more years. But we now have the email showing Sweden did not want to keep pushing these investigations because they didn't have anything. They, they were like, how do we keep pushing this without any evidence or anything? Well, and, and more importantly, because, again, there's not always evidence of sexual assault. That's It's, it's oftentimes a problem. Uh, more importantly, uh, the women involved, one of whom I was in contact with um, last year or the year before, um, the, the, these women were had had gone out had basically admitted um, or not admitted, but they had said that there there had been some pressure from authorities to to create this story, and which is also grotesque because hypothetically, let's say that there was there was an issue that they had with Assange to then have the uh, to, to then have the state pressuring you uh, is, is absolutely horrific. So, uh, and it really pisses me off just as a Swede kind of side note that Sweden has <laughs> no fucking spine vis-a-vis the U S and just does whatever the fuck the U S says 
it really irritates me. <laughs> but that's a <laughs> yeah. Side note to Sweden. Side note to Sweden. <laughs> Throwing some shade at Sweden. Um, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, really really agreed with everything you just said. That was so well articulated. There's a really great Caitlin Johnson piece that also kind of, I don't know if you know Caitlin Johnson's work, but she kind of unpacks the sort of layers of the sexual assault charges and the evidence and also, you know, how to have that conversation without, you know, putting victims, sidelining victims, basically, which I think that's a great piece that we can link to. And one of the points she makes in that piece that I think is so, that nobody ever seems to think of is like, oh, so all of a sudden the empire cares about sexual assault victims (laughs) all of a sudden they care about them that's just a ridiculous assumption and you see it you see it happen uh, you see it happen recently you know the the democrats care about sexual assault when trump does it Mm -hmm. the republicans care about sexual assault when biden's doing it but they really don't (laughs) it's just that they use it as a as a political chess piece in order to further their their interests and that that is uh and of course you know the the what really is, is is an awful side effect of this is that uh, survivors will be continue will continue to be disbelieved because of situations like this where uh, these stories are, are 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 put together or they're pedestaled by the powers that be in order to for political gains and actual survivors dealing with uh, these horrific experiences will be sidelined because they're 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 not political pawns they're not useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who don't know, the trial that he's going through right now, which we can get into more of those details in a minute, but that trial has nothing to do with the sexual assault investigation that has been dropped from Sweden. So not a single charge has anything to do with that. Yeah, nor the uh, 2016 election, which a lot of people (laughs) seem, if they don't think that's what the case is about, it uses it as their justification for how they should feel about the case. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to pay attention to this timeline and the fact that a lot of it has happened and gone on long before Trump was a household uh, political, quote unquote, political name. And uh, and it really is, it's not a partisan issue, this suppression of uh, of truth and, uh, and information. Uh, and so, and in addition to this, the impact that's made by on sexual assault um, survivors through all of this, uh, all of this being being roped in and, and enmeshed uh, with everything else that's involved in who uh, who people think of when they think of Julian Assange, you know, I would love to hear you talk more about the broader impact on people uh, and and. Because, you know, right now we're in the middle of this, we're in the middle of this like pandemic and climate apocalypse and fascist takeover. And it's like, people are like, wait, what? There's another thing to be <laughs> freaking out about. And, and I feel like the thing that I, that helps me is to make the connection between this that's going on uh, and everything else. Like it's not separate. And so maybe you can help elaborate more on that. Um. Yeah, it is. It's it's incredibly dangerous for uh, for freedom of journalism, freedom of press, freedom of speech. Uh, 
once we've decided we're willing to go to the place where our government will imprison and basically torture via solitary confinement, uh, torture journalists for revealing the truth about them, uh, we're in a very dark place. I mean, people, the, the mainstream media love to talk about how hard Trump is on the media. He'll kick people out of the White House briefings and all that stuff. He'll insult reporters. And They'll act like that's so horrible, which it's not great, but compared to prosecuting and imprisoning a journalist who's never gotten anything wrong uh, and revealed so many war crimes that should be prosecuted, uh, it's it's just a completely different league. I mean, it's, it's a, a far cry, and that's why it's so disgusting to watch these corporate hacks not stand up for Julian Assange. Um, and... Something which, which you know, there's two sets of, of, of indictments that have been put against Assange. The first set uh, tried, it, it's all under the Espionage Act, which no foreign journalist has ever been charged under the Espionage or indicted under the Espionage Act. And then the U.S. government must have realized that they couldn't actually, that they might lose that, that it's ridiculous and that they might actually lose that extradition trial in the U.K., despite the U.K. bending over backwards to try and make sure that Assange gets uh, extradited. Um, and so they put these superseding indictments in, which are all about, you know, helping a hacker and these other things, which, uh, you know, we can get into the nitty gritty of that later if you want. But uh, basically because they realize that these first ones are just uh, a precedent of just horrendous, uh, you know, ideals that, that you could go after a journalist for espionage, under the Espionage Act for revealing the true war crimes of a government. Um, and in the first day of the trial this week, they had a professor talk about how often journalists use classified material or release classified material in their journalism. It's done endlessly. It's done almost on a weekly basis. It's just most of it is done pro-government. It's done for the government so that you can help push their propaganda uh, just endlessly. Uh, they, they say anonymous sources in the State Department say classified information and they reveal it. Uh, and it's just done so much. But when it's done for the government, that's the good kind of journalism. That's the journalism that is the government's pet and can be used for their propaganda. The bad kind is the leaking of classified information that could hurt the image of the government or hurt the image of America, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what Ju Julian Assange and WikiLeaks has done, is that kind of journalism, which is scary to the ruling elite, scary to the empire. And so that's why he has been attacked at this level. Uh, and even that has been done hundreds of times. I mean, the, the professor that was one of witnesses for Assange this week gave a list of like 20 occurrences over the past, uh, you know, 20 years. It's just, it's done very often. I mean, the most famous maybe is the Pentagon Papers, which now Daniel Ellsberg is considered a hero in America for revealing that what went on in Vietnam. Uh, and Ellsberg has tweeted that what Assange is going through is basically a Stalin-esque show trial where you pretend it's a trial, but really the, the ending is foregone. Well, conclusion. Well, and I and and with regards to like what this has to do with people, I think like you know recently we've seen the shutdown of many anarchist and anti-fascist 
social media platforms or their social media pages on platforms like Facebook, uh, which has, you know, which has happened before, you know, like the anti-media uh, cop watch um, were, were, you know, taken off of Facebook. You've experienced oppressive uh, censoring. And of course, like these are small compared to what's go- what, what Julian Assange is going through. But it's, you know, like you mentioned, Emily, it's connected. And the fact is, like, people might say, well, OK, like an anarchist page got taken down. Who cares? Well, who cares? Who's who's actually on the front lines telling people what's going on in these, you know, in these uprisings across the country right now? People are listening to like Fox News. And I legitimately think that people are just walking out of their front door and be like, I'm going to go kill some cops today. When, you know, like so the anarchist pages, like the anti-fascist pages are the ones that are setting the record straight. <clears throat> They're the ones that are highlighting uh, and, and teaching people, you know, like the importance of teaching our history, the fact that police are descended from fucking slave patrols. So there's no way you could actually possibly ever reform them. Uh, and these are the, this is the job of this alternative media. This is the job of the truth tellers. And Assange is perhaps, you know, like one of the most uh, like a, a celebrity status of those. But this is something that's happening across the board to truth tellers that are going up against the empire. And of course, this is what we see in a fascist takeover. And I think like this is something that I've been talking about recently is that like people seem to think that fascism will look like, oh, all of a sudden it's uh, Kristallnacht or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> that happens like later. Um right now is like, you know, the thirties or something in Germany or whatever, like it doesn't happen immediately. Um, and no government ever announces, well, I guess, you know, sometimes they do, but governments (laughs) announce that they're fascist. What they do is they make anti-fascism illegal. And then that is their step towards like ultimately solidifying fascism. And I think that it's important that like that we recognize how Assange is connected to these issues that permeate throughout our day-to-day lives and why it's important that we connect our issues, our day-to-day struggles to his. And uh, it's, you know, as you said, it's, it's going after the truth tellers and that includes not just Assange, of course, but Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, John Kerryaku, uh, and there's several others who have been locked up for their truth. Uh, right now, uh, a, a great lawyer named Stephen Donziger is under house arrest for succeeding in his lawsuit against Chevron for actually holding them to account. And they owe, technically owe, according to the courts in Ecuador, over you know several billion dollars of restitution to the indigenous there. And so what have the U.S. courts, along with Chevron, done? They've succeeded in putting the lawyer who won that case under house arrest, which he's been under for 400 days now and you know that story also never gets any coverage i had never even heard about that yeah you did a show about that didn't you i yeah i've done a couple of shows about it i i talked to he wasn't under house arrest yet but i talked about how chevron was going after the indigenous who had won the case i talked about that five six years ago yeah Everything has has uh, snowballed so quickly in the last few that it's easy to forget that many people were sounding warning bells long before, um, you know, like all of this has really been so overt, like what you're saying, Eleanor, about, you know, the gradual, you know, descent is it's, you know, I last summer I went to Berlin and I went to the 
Topography of Terror Museum, where they have this really handy um, illustrated timeline of <laughs> the ascent of the Third Reich. And I'm like reading it and I'm like kind of going down like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like going around. I'm like, fuck, we're like here. <laughs> like, we're like way down this. Line. Got it, got it, got it. Need it, yeah. got it, got it. Like, well, and like, <laughs> this is supposed to be like, a checklist. Uh, Mussolini himself, who's obviously was fascist, said that fascism should actually be called corporatism. Mm-hmm. Because fascism is the marriage of all, like, corporate entities and the states that they work together in order to achieve a sort of mono, either, like, mono-cultural or what have you, like, system uh, where any sort of descent either to the corporate uh, power or to the state power is crushed. Mm-hmm. What are some advocacy strategies you've been using and what are some talking points that we can use to try to impress upon people that this is important and this is something that they should be paying attention to. Well, your poster is quite popular. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this, this is one, well, yeah, it, you know, there's, there's, so that's the thing with activists is they're never, we, we often don't agree on methods, uh, even <laughs> if we agree on the end goal. So I, I will, I will, uh, uh, Say before I before I say one of the things I've done, uh, I will say that Julian Assange's mother uh, has said that she does not like this poster. <laughs> but on one of my shows, on one of my shows, I jokingly said, "Whatever you do, do not print out posters like this one." And it's a photo of Julian Assange, and it says, "Free Assange, jail the war criminals." And I was like, do not print these out and put them up all over town. (laughs) Um, Now, my reasoning behind that is that you're right. A lot of people don't care about this. They don't. If you just say free Assange, they say, oh, I vaguely heard of that guy. But I don't know. It's not Mm -hmm. it's not my issue, whatever. But if you add jail to war criminals or you add another related Thing that is that is very much important because obviously he revealed much of the war crimes. So. Yes, these two things should go together. You can get more energy and get more people involved. You can make them understand that this is not just about one guy. This is about a larger picture. Uh, now, Assange's mother, uh, which I understand her view is uh, is that we're already going up against the most powerful forces in the world. Let's not threaten to imprison them. Uh, which <laughs> I, I get if someone wants to... Someone who wants to help her son, I understand it. Yeah. Anyway, that was, that was a long way around to say that that was one thing that I promoted because really this this just comes down to uh, to uh, getting people to care about it and getting people to know and getting people to understand what is happening, which is very hard. And they try and make it even harder. You know, they've mm-hmm. they've. Uh, canceled a lot of the journalist passes to watch this online. Uh, so only a specific number, a small number of journalists get to view this online. Um, I mean, this, this, this sham trial is just laughable in so many ways. Julian Assange is being kept in a glass box during the trial as if he's like, uh, you know, Hannibal Lecter or something like he's going to jump out and just eat someone's throat at any moment. (laughs) Uh, honestly, this is like the trial of a vampire or something. You know, we don't know. We've got here's wooden stakes for everyone in case. Uh, and, and and they had to, do, you know, there was a debate in the courtroom as to whether he had to be kept in this glass box. And the judge said, yeah, absolutely. Keep him in the glass box. Because what a terrorist mastermind, this guy who's only revealed the truth to us. 
Uh, and so, you know, there's that. And again, they're, they're keeping the journalists out. They're keeping w the WikiLeaks uh, CEO or head, head editor of, current head editor of WikiLeaks is, they didn't allow him in the courtroom the other day. They forced him to watch from a screening room. Um, and, you know, it just goes on and on. But uh, in, in terms of what you can do, it really is just going to come down to uh, pressure on these government officials. Right now, that pressure probably needs to be focused on the UK uh, because, you know, I, I don't think pressuring U.S. officials is going to have much impact now. Uh, if we get to the point that Assange is extradited and is on U.S. soil, then obviously the pressure needs to be shifted 100 percent to uh, every member of Congress, uh, the president, everybody else uh, that can be pressured on this. The mainstream media is another one because as much as I wish people didn't love them, uh, they are watched a lot still. And, you know, sometimes they will respond to pressure. I played a clip of where Rachel Maddow, despite uh, having done endless episodes, basically trashing Assange and WikiLeaks, uh, did a segment where suddenly she realized that this type of thing could come back to haunt uh, talking heads like her, prosecuting a journalist for revealing truth. And so she did a, a couple of minutes where she was like, Julian Assange, despite all the horrible things WikiLeaks has done, I do think that he shouldn't be prosecuted under the Espionage Act. And she sheepishly said that. So they can respond to pressure uh, over time. And I think it's going to come down to public pressure. Yeah, I think that is kind of the name of the game with a lot of these um, overreaching measures that we're seeing get put into place now to make people feel afraid to speak out in any kind of dissent, whether journalistically or just in the street. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe since since we've been talking a while and we haven't actually talked anything about the actual case, maybe we could nutshell really quick so that... Um, when so that we have some kind of frame of reference for anybody who maybe isn't aware or is less aware than they would like to be. Uh, yeah. So the so as I said, the first set of indictments all had to do with revealing uh, information, classified information about the U.S. government, and they charged him under or indicted him under the Espionage Act, and. They, like I said, they realize they must have realized everyone's figuring that the reason they did this unheard of step that where they added a superseding indictment uh, after all of that, after they've gone through, you know, over a year of prepping for this trial and, and uh, previous court appearances and all this crap, uh, they add on this indictment just, uh, uh, or indictments uh, just a few weeks ago. And in the beginning of this uh, trial, which started this week for extradition, um, the argument was whether those superseding indictments uh, should be thrown out. And what the superseding indictments say, the first ones had to do with revealing classified information. The newest ones have to do with he helped Snowden evade capture when he was in the Moscow airport or whatever. And, and which everyone's like, I don't think that's a crime, actually. You can help someone who hasn't been charged evade capture. That's not. And so anyway, that made everyone scratch their heads. Another one was. Uh, that it has been said that he pressured people into hacking into an Icelandic bank um, and that he pressured someone else into hacking something, I think. But all of that information about him pressuring people to hack things comes from two FBI informants who were, I believe, people suspect FBI informants before they even met him. So really they 
went to become friends with him to help the FBI, uh, which makes them completely not trustworthy. You can't trust someone who's there to the for the FBI to try and make things happen for the FBI. So it, uh, it, it, it they're they're completely not trustworthy. Um, and then another one about well, some of the other ones had to do with uh, helping Chelsea Manning uh, basically change her name when she was going in to get these files or look like something else so that uh, they wouldn't, the, the military wouldn't be able to catch who it was that leaked the, the information. Uh, but again, uh, as Bob Woodward, this journalist that everyone holds up as the epitome of journalism, and he's on every channel right now, CNN, MSNBC, you can turn anyone on, Bob Woodward, front and center, as he said many times, most of what he does is try and talk people into giving him classified information. <laughs> like that is his job. That's what he tries to do. It's not illegal. You can, you can, and, and furthermore, Assange and, and Chelsea Manning have said multiple times that he didn't pressure her into doing it. All he did was help her cover her tracks, which is standard operating procedure for a journalist with classified information. Absolutely standard, nothing wrong with it. So this superseding indictment comes up they, they don't have time to prep for it. Julian Assange has been kept from meeting with his lawyers a lot, and he's been forced to, to, to talk about things over the phone. He's not given Internet access. He can't even see some of these indictments against him. They're trying to explain in 20-minute phone calls in-depth legal documents. I mean, it's utterly preposterous. And so they said, throw these superseding indictments out. The judge then said, no, I don't think so. Let's keep them in there. So then the, the defense attorney said, well, we didn't think you were going to say that. And now we're in the position where Assange and we have not, have, prepared, have not been prepared for these superseding indictments. So please, although it will keep Assange in jail for another six months, put this off until January. Let us get prepared for this defense. And she said, no, that's all right. Let's not let you get prepared. Let's just keep going. So that is some of what happened this week. And also thinking about like, you know, how something is illegal when it's useful to be illegal. Like, obviously it's not illegal to help someone who hasn't been charged. Then you're just kind of like showing them around Moscow, I guess. <laughs> like, take a left. You know, yeah. um, but, uh, but of course, you know, we see this in our, and, and this is also, you know, going back to like connecting issues. This is, we also see this with regards to how people are charged in our, you know, injustice system. So for instance, somebody is, uh, a, a, you know, a, a piece of shit, 17 year old white supremacist allowed to shoot three people and walk home and sleep well at, 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 at you know, at, like in his bed. Um, and meanwhile, somebody is sent to Rikers for three years for stealing a backpack when he didn't actually even steal a backpack at the age of 16. One of them is white. One of them is black. I'll leave it up to the listeners to figure out <laughs> which is which. Um, right. But yeah, so it really just speaks to <clears throat> to the to, to the the kind of justice system that we have. And with regards to the judge, you know, the judge that Julian Assange would see here in the United States is the same judge that presided over John Kiriakou's trial, where he was told that he could not offer up anything in his own defense, no evidence. He could offer up no evidence in his own defense. And he, he took a plea deal finally. And the judge said that if you wouldn't have taken a plea deal, I would have sought the maximum for you. I wish you could go away for longer. And for those who don't know, Kariaku is the one who revealed the CIA torture program. He didn't partake in it. He just revealed its existence. And he was told by the judge, I would like to lock you away for life for revealing crimes from our government. He's the only person to go to jail for the CIA torture program 
because he revealed it. Right. That's and there. You, and there you have it. Our justice system is based around uh, injustice and uh, locking up the people who report on the people doing the crimes. Ah, it's so, you know, comforting to know that it's at least just, like, reliably sinister, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's reliably horrific, yes. (laughs) I hate not knowing what to expect. (laughs) (laughs) It's consistent. (laughs) Ah, I want to just trust someone to always be evil. And that's what our government does for me. You know, blue, red, all the way around. I feel like we could we could go all the way down this rabbit hole for a really long time, but because we're not going to do that today, is there anything that you feel like we have not touched on that is important or, um, you know, I know you're, I'm guessing on your podcast, you're going to keep covering this and uh, we'll, we'll provide links in our, in our show notes and stuff for anybody who hasn't, um, doesn't have access and uh yeah is there anything else yeah Yeah. I'll also say like with regards and and this is something that I think applies to really any issue um you know first of all like the kind of you know removing ourselves from our silos um because no one we can't fight single issue fights because no one lives single issue lives so that's the first thing but also to respect and deploy a diversity of tactics and to not police tactics from our from our own spaces. Uh, no one has uh, one of my one of my friends, and I would I guess I would consider her a mentor, Sharif Whiteland, who's a, an Afro Janae water protector, said that you don't have the right to tell the rabbit how to get itself out of the jaws <laughs> of the coyote. That's not your job. Your job is to try and get the coyote out of there. <laughs> so. When somebody, if somebody's using a tactic that you wouldn't use, instead of policing it, try to figure out how you can either support or how you can use a different tactic that you feel comfortable with in order to uh, fight for the same goal. And I think like that, I would I would say those are like the two things with regards to advocacy work, and also, I guess like respecting that everybody has a role to play and that every everybody's role will look different. And I think that something like Assange's trial can feel a little bit nebulous because. It's not like a pipeline construction. We can't like block the pipeline construction. <laughs> so it feels like a little abstract. Um, but I think just like, again, like like y'all were talking about connecting it to issues that we're already living with and connecting it to this overt rise of fascism that we're living with right now and, uh, and continuing to talk about it. You know, um, his trial will be over soon and then there will be another, there will be another lull in, in, in the news cycle and, and just staying with it and keeping an eye on it and, and and making sure that it doesn't get shoveled under a heap of election bullshit or what have you. And uh, one last thing I'll say to, to get people to care about this is when you sit and think, and people I feel like don't talk about this enough, about the ripples of what WikiLeaks has created, uh, you can see the impact it had uh, has had. Uh, it's it, far more important in our time than any other journalistic endeavor. Uh, it, you know, without 
without WikiLeaks, there likely would have never been any Arab Spring. Without any Arab Spring, there likely never would have been any Occupy. Without Occupy, there likely would have never been any Bernie Sanders movement, at least not a large enough one to have the impact it had. Without the WikiLeaks uh, leaking of the uh, Democratic and Podesta emails, you wouldn't have known about the levels the, the levels of corruption at the, at the highest levels of the DNC and whatever election integrity movement there is now, although it has been suppressed and maligned, uh, it, it, it wouldn't exist or at least wouldn't exist in such a strong form without having seen just how, how heavily uh, the primaries are rigged. Uh, and there's other levels, you know, uh, banks have been uh, prosecuted and fined for what has been revealed through WikiLeaks. Tax evasion has been revealed. Um, and it just goes on and on. And obviously the war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's many levels of things that wouldn't have happened if those hadn't been revealed. Uh, there, there's you know, CIA details about what the CIA is involved in. Uh, there's just so much of our world would be different if we didn't have th that information. People would not have been able to stand up. Uh, we likely would not have pulled out of TPP either because uh, WikiLeaks was one of the only outlets to uh, reveal some of what was in the Trans-Pacific Partnership when it was an incredibly secretive uh, multinational corporate trade deal designed to give away our, uh, you know, seed our, our uh integrity and, and freedom as a country. Uh, and all of that would not have happened without WikiLeaks. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. All really important stuff to keep in mind. Thank you so much for breaking it down so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. This is a case that's been really important to me, like trying to do advocacy around. So I appreciate, you know, having some folks on that can talk about it so well. So thank that's you. That's really awesome. You're doing that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> It's an uphill battle, as we discussed, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we can uh, amplify, let us know. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and same. You know, I think that's that's something that we all are, I think, learning to do for each other is raise each other's voices because, you know, there are a lot of people who are interested in silencing them. So if we're all, if we're all amplifying the, the same truth, then it's going to get out. And, uh, and I really appreciate both of you for doing it so well and so fearlessly. Likewise, love. Yeah, and our podcast, Eleanor's podcast, is called Act Out. The one we do together is called Common Censored. Uh, yes. And we'd love for people to check them out. Awesome. We'll link yes. to those in the show notes and all your socials and all the things. So. Thanks. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks. Awesome. We hope right. you all stay safe. We'll be right back with more discussion, but first, here's Eleanor's poem, Free Assange. In the ashes of our mistakes, shredded bits of paper, like confetti at a funeral, someone has to burn. Between the lines, like crisscross lies, do you ask the light if it's good? A murdered messenger sent us a message. How easily, though, it got lost in the din, because didn't he sin? Yeah, he's an arrogant ass giving fascists a pass, or... And a hostage of holy Rome, a rattler of thrones. Either way, his fate we do own. Either way, this leaking truth we do own. If you feel like you're drowning, wake up. 
the arguments shallow, the precedent deep, and the road to perdition is steep and slick. Do you follow their lead? Those leaks can't be damned, but the man so easily damned. Because secrets can't be kept, but lies have shelf lives far too long. Here is the empire's swan song, a failing, flailing hegemony, a Machiavellian tragedy, a grotesque dark comedy, an idiocracy. We are the players and the played. Must this show go on? I don't know this man, but I don't want his blood on my hands. As a child of empire, I'm already soaked. Then buy me a beer and we'll talk about sin. But here, now, I'm tearing down gallows because the ashes of our mistakes are choking out the light. I'm really glad they were able to come on and do that. And I feel like even as someone who gives a shit in general, like I'm painfully underinformed about... Um, Assange and WikiLeaks and, you know, even some of the other notable whistleblowers, I just don't have enough understanding and context of the impact of their actions. And I think, I don't know, I, I'm really glad that Lee made that last point between, uh, you know, the domino effect of, you know, without, without one, there isn't the next. And that's why it's so scary for the system is that, you know, each each one of these individuals impacts many more individuals and spurs them to action. Yeah, I appreciated him talking about that history of WikiLeaks because I remember being in the anti-war movement when everybody loved WikiLeaks. You know, when they first revealed you know, some of the war crimes that were happening in Iraq. And, and then it's like it's been weird over the years to watch people's opinions just sway based on their partisan politics. And part of me always wants to be like, if the information doesn't match your politics, is that the information's fault or your politics fault? And maybe right. you should do a little self-examination because, as Lee mm -hmm. said, WikiLeaks has never published anything inaccurate. You can maybe make some ethical arguments about timing and decisions of what to include and blah, blah, blah. But like the actual information itself is all accurate information. It's really frustrating to me that even within my profession, nobody wants to talk about WikiLeaks. Like, I can't get a single it's librarian tragic. to talk about it. And I'm like, dude, we're, we sit there, we basically, like, not that there's, like, a librarian Bible you swear on, but, like, all of our codes of ethics are about access to information, information freedom, like, intellectual freedom. Like, how, what other case is more of an exemplar of that than this case? And if it's hard for you to take a stand because of who Julian Assange is as a person, that's what ethics are. Ethics don't mean that you like the people that are involved with them. Ethics mean that you stand for what's right in the bigger social sense. You know, the Bill of Rights covers exactly. everybody. It covers fucking mass murderers and Bill Cosby and... And the KKK, clearly, you know, <laughs> and the Proud Boys and, you know, the the 17-year-old with the, you know, automatic weapon in the streets and, you know, whose name I'm not even going to give, give the respective saying because we should definitely not know his name more than we know the names of the people he killed. But yeah, that and that is, I think, why this is so important, because what we're dealing with right now 
and in the in the timeline of fascist takeover and authoritarian rise is we're dealing with a full-scale um, information war and propaganda war. And the worst thing we can do uh, for ourselves specifically and for our, ourselves collectively is refuse to acknowledge when we've been wrong because wrong information is coming at us so fast right now. I don't even know. I, I consider myself pretty discerning and I I spend a lot of time checking out, like, is this the right source? Like, I'm sometimes not able to figure out which is the, the, the propaganda and which is, you know, the facts coming out. So if, if nothing else, we all need to be looking at this as an example of, like, how we need to be uh, responsible for figuring out what is true and what is not and valuing what is true over we over the amount of value we place on the person telling the truth. Right. And that's that is so well said because like we've said before, when we've had these kind of post-interview conversations, I don't know why it's so hard for people to just it's okay to be wrong about something and change your mind. There are bigger things at stake right now. Like let go of mm -hmm. your ego. Or take a position that ethically makes sense. It doesn't mean that you're endorsing every single thing Julian Assange has ever done his, his entire life or, like, you want to be his best friend or whatever. But, right. like, this is way too fucking important for people to just stand on the sidelines or make half-assed excuses about why they don't care about it because of something they read in the newspaper about how Julian Assange didn't fucking clean his cat's litter box or something in the embassy. Just literally a right. story. If you don't remember that, it was literally our, a story about him. Exactly. And if our journalists are not going to cover this stuff, like, I mean, if it's going to be up to, like, folk singers and comedians and librarians and, you know, activists to get this information out to the people uh, because our, you know, media won't really won't do it or will we'll kind of tiptoe up maybe to, to doing it, but then kind of tiptoe back because of fear. It's not going to, you know, come down from the highest levels. And it's on all of us as individuals to really, really diligently seek truth and to not expect to be given it. <laughs> truth is not going to be in our faces. Truth is what we have to look for. Bullshit is in our faces. My time in, in Army Public Affairs taught me nothing more clearly than how easy it is to make complete bullshit look like truth and look believable. Um, you know, you spend, spend enough time writing morale building stories about an unwinnable war to be distributed to the people fighting that unwinnable war, you know, and it's just like, it just, you just sort of see very clearly like how hard it is to, uh, to find truth when the systems of power are intentionally suppressing. Yeah, exactly. I really don't think I have anything else to add, except I'm just really grateful that Lee and Eleanor made time and their busy schedules to talk to us about the case. Cause I get so emotional trying to talk about it. Sometimes I'm not very articulate. So I just yeah. end up, like, getting frustrated. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we did that. Thanks for 
bringing it up. Yeah, thanks for being open Um, to it and for also going on the learning journey because I know it's kind of a learning curve and a lot of people have a very gut reaction where they're just like, why should I care about that? That guy's an asshole. I've been having to question myself. Like the way I, you know, what I'm saying about finding truth, like I'm saying that to myself too. The ripple effects of this case are so terrifying. Yeah. That's the thing that I just don't, I don't know why that's such a hard sell for people. I mean, I kind of do know why, and I'm trying to be understanding about, especially with so many things competing for people's attention, including just day-to-day survival right now, why this Mm -hmm. is not at the top of many people's list. But as Eleanor said, we're not one-issue people, so we can't be one-issue activists. Like, this does connect to a lot of things, and it's another layer I think you can add to the general, you know, trying to stop fascism. (laughs) Welcome to America. Land of the free, free to vote for anyone from one of two parties, free to spray chemicals all over your fruit, or free to be deceived by an army recruiter. You're free to go shopping, free to take out loans, free to make random dates on your drink at the bar but free to question the police well now that's taking it too far you'll be convicted for your convictions you'll be tried for trying to speak the truth you see you'll be vilified for calling out the villains just don't exercise your freedoms and you so much for listening to what the folk if you like what you've been hearing please consider leaving us a review on itunes or telling all your friends about us or however you choose to get the message out we will completely appreciate it hope you can join us next time till then take care of yourselves and each other i can say any goddamn thing i please if i sing it in a major key if i sing it